Welcome to The Secret Life of Entrepreneurs, where we talk everything local. From finding out what makes a business owner tick to how to get your business found. Tune in as business owners share it all. The Secret Life of Entrepreneurs is a proud member of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. I'm your host, Barb McGrath, local business owner, Google girl, and founder of the Get Found Digital Marketing Program. In today's episode, we're going to change it up a little bit. The next few episodes of The Secret Life of Entrepreneurs, we're going to start to talk about supporting ourselves. And even as business owners, we're still people. We need support. So today's guest is really coming at it from a different angle. We're not going to talk accounting or marketing. We're going to talk parenting. Our guest today is a trauma-informed life coach, and her business, called Rad Talk with Tracy, supports parents who are parenting kids diagnosed with something called Rad. She's a podcast founder and a host. So Tracy, let me stop talking and welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Barb. It's an absolute pleasure. So let, let's start right at the very beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, you must be a parent. I am a parent. Yeah, I have worked in healthcare for about 20 years. And mm-hmm. then uh, my husband and I adopted a sibling group, two kids, a okay. brother and sister. Mm-hmm. And uh, that threw me into my business and, and what I do now. So uh, both of our kids have something called reactive attachment disorder. So that must be what RAD stands for, reactive yes. attachment disorder. Right. Got it. Okay. Yep. And so, like, what is RAD? It's a good question. I never knew about it. Uh, a lot of adoptive parents that uh, go into adoption and adopt children don't know about it. We found out kind of on the fly as we were parenting our kids. And so um, it's, I'm looking up a definition because I won't have a great one for you, but it's a condition where infants or young children don't form a secure or a healthy emotional bond with their primary caregiver. And so throughout their life, they end up becoming reactive to attachment where most of us would enjoy a hug and affection Uh, These kids, their brains are actually rewired to to react to it in a negative way. So they will Mm -hmm. push push away anytime there's love and affection or any type of, you know, close, intimate connection. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you and I talked about before we went live today, a number of these kids also have other diagnoses, which then kind of further complicate the issue, right? Right. That's a great word for it, Barb. It's complicated. Reactive attachment disorder is really complicated because what often Mm -hmm. happens, like you say, is children are diagnosed with um, other disorders, anything from uh, attention, just like attention deficit, uh, oppositional defiance, just a a myriad of disorders. And it's often because 
know, as parents going into this, to the adoption world, adopting children, you're not prepared. You're not prepared because a lot of the caseworker, the people in the adoption world and therapists, this isn't a really well-known disorder. Mm -hmm. And so people don't know about it and they don't know how to treat it. And so, um, yeah, you just get into this, this situation where kids get different diagnoses until one day you land upon uh, reactive attachment disorder. Got it. So, you know, of course, you and I connected because our daughter is adopted and we've done a, a ton of research over the years to trying to understand. Um, one of the things that we really see is trust. She's not able to trust us the same way uh, we either see in our biological son or the same way as a parent that, you know, you just you trust your parents. They're they're looking out for your best interest. Even if you're mad at them in your teenage years, you might not agree with them, but but you trust them. And so that's certainly something that we've seen with our daughter over the years is she'll come home from school and she'll tell us a story and she'll relay to us that, hey, like you guys were actually right. Or you guys were actually telling me the truth when you explained this to me. <laughs> and I often marvel at that because I'm like, so you didn't believe me when I told you that masks would be required or, you know, like, really? You didn't believe me? And so that's something that I think for a lot of parents, it's tough to wrap your head around the fact that, you know, your kid might not trust you, right? Um, when you adopted, so I'm just going to go back in our adoption story and yours a little bit. When you adopted, you said, you know, you didn't know about this. You didn't even know this was a possibility. Um, how prepared, in hindsight, how prepared do you feel you were, never mind the rad part, like had you guys done your homework, done your research, talked to a bunch of people, had you done all of that? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, you know, I've worked in healthcare. Um, you just, you do all the things we did. We did our research. We, uh, you know, the adoption process is pretty lengthy and you go through a bunch of steps like filling out a, a safe survey. There's home visits. There's lots of opportunities to talk to the caseworkers. Um, there's courses that you have to take. I mean, we really did it all. And looking back, you know, every situation is different and not every child from adoption comes with reactive attachment. Yeah. I just want to make that clear, but mm -hmm. it's there. These kids, uh, it, it happens because of trauma and that unsafe environment that you're talking about and not having trust. And so then there's this real need for, for control. But yeah, we were what we thought was prepared looking back, not at all. Mm -hmm. And I, I do know that there was a piece about attachment in our training. It was very short. Um, and again, I think they skirted around the real deep issues, the the real stuff that comes with it, where it just seemed like kids were having trouble attaching. It was a happy ending story, uh, you know, and, and to no fault of their own. Maybe, like I say, not. I don't know even if most um, therapists and providers out there really understand it themselves. So, yeah, you know, I don't think it's purposeful. It's just ignorance. Right. Yeah. And just based on the, the prep work that I was doing for our show today, an attachment disorder could also happen in a biological child. Mm -hmm. 
So it's not just because they're adopted, but it's a secure and an insecure attachment. And so a child with an insecure attachment who's not able to trust their parent, trust their caregiver, they make decisions in a really different way from a different viewpoint, right? Than a, than a child who is secure in their attachment. One of the things I remember reading when we were preparing to adopt was we did do a little bit of reading uh, on attachment. And in fact, we chose to adopt from Ethiopia because based on our research, uh, attachment is something that's really important in their community. And, you know, having done all of this research and learned so much about the importance of that attachment, just little things like the, the mirroring that kids will do. Right. And I remember uh, when our kids were little. And so, you know, like I'm going to say three and five or something like that. Um, we were all brushing our teeth one night because, you know, mom would brush her teeth and then everybody else brushes for two minutes. And OK, the kids are learning. Right. Well, my son to this day he brushes his teeth exactly like I do. The same pattern, this like everything. Right. But our daughter, who we did the exact same stuff with, she's got a totally different pattern. She totally right. does it on her own. Yeah. Right? And and I've marveled at those activities a number of times. I'm teasing my husband a couple of weeks ago. The kids were playing uh, a game of cards with their great-grandmother. And um, I, I could see, like, both of their cards, right? So I can see my sons and I can see my daughters. And I look at my sons and his are lined up the same way I line up my cards when I play a game, right? So right. They're, they're lowest to highest and, right? I look at my daughters, I turn to my husband, and I go, yeah, that's gotta be your lineup because that's not mine. <laughs> it was just this hodgepodge. There's no yes. order, there's no rhyme or reason, right? right? But it's those, yeah. those little mirroring behaviors that you never think about, but it right. leads to big stuff. It does. So, if if a if a parent suspects or or wants to learn more about rad like what are they looking for you know that's a big question uh, i think mostly it's the inability to attach you know our kids i can give some examples like our kids when we first adopted if we left the house you know most kids like you're saying those behaviors um, if we left the house, there was no bye mom, bye dad. If we came home, they would still stay coloring and not even lift their heads up and look, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes the, the, uh, the issues are really obvious, you know, they might pull away. Infants might even close their eyes, just those things to show that they are trying to get away from you somehow. Yeah. Uh, expectations and rules, um, really do the opposite you not following those big outbursts for simple things that's kind of a trademark so our daughter used to run away when we asked her to go to her room grab a load of laundry and get her laundry done or to do your homework and you know everything circles back to that safety and trust like what you were saying about your daughter doing things differently they trust themselves even though they aren't capable of taking care of themselves that's yeah. the person they've had to rely on and uh, is is their is themselves. And so their their brain rewires for survival. So they don't even have often that ability to understand or relate to people. And so 
you know, they're taking care of themselves. Uh, our daughter has different patterns too, because she only trusted herself. She did things her way. But I think the inability to, you know, follow rules, expectations, just those typical things that, you know, most kids do, your gut kind of tells you that this isn't, we're not bonding, you know, you had those, those red flags too. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you know, and, and that's so interesting to me because I, I look at, of course, our daughter's decision-making process, mm -hmm. and it's very much based on her own experience versus being able to take any input from the outside world. Right. And I think that goes back to exactly what you're saying, where yeah. they, they trust themselves, right? And, and you, you get it. Like these kids have been abandoned in all sorts of terrible situations. Like it, you can't help, but just, you know, it's gut wrenching what they've been through. So understanding why, it is the way it is. That's not hard to do. But what do you do about it, Tracy? What does a parent do? Help. Yeah, you get help as soon as you can. And, you know, the one thing that I've learned over the years, uh, being a rad parent and then going through our personal situation, reaching out for help, first of all, it's really, really limited. I'm Canadian originally, but now I'm living across the border and in the US and, you know, it's really, really difficult. I interviewed a woman who works with families and has been doing this for 40 years in the world of RAD, you know, and she gave me a stat that was really alarming in the US. There were about, in her opinion, I can't remember if it was four or eight clinicians that were capable of really working with these kids and making a difference and wow. changing so that they could recover. And then there was about 8 million children with reactive attachment disorder. So that oh, wow. just shows you the disparity there. It's scarce. There, there aren't mm -hmm. a lot of services, you know, one-to-one uh, -one therapy doesn't work, you know? So if your child goes in with a therapist alone, and the parents aren't involved, that is not going to work. These kids, you know, again, they're wired for survival. They'll do anything to manipulate the situation to work for them. And mm -hmm. so they'll manipulate the therapist. And yes, therapists can be manipulated. And then it goes back to that trust where the child thinks, well, if I can manipulate you, then I'm not going to trust you either. So yeah. therapy, therapy for the parents, you know, separate, but also therapy for your family, rad specific therapy. Uh, there's a lot of organizations. I don't know if I'm allowed to say, talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So rad advocates is one of the leading organizations right now, I would say in terms of helping families navigate and, and advocate for themselves in a systems kind of uh, place. So, you know, if your child is needing to, go to a residential treatment center or a therapeutic boarding school, or if they're coming home or you have meetings with uh, insurance companies, and I know that's a US thing, but they really help navigate through that crisis and they're a great starting point. Mm -hmm. You know, there are therapists, uh, you just have to do your due diligence in finding people that understand RAD, they know how to treat it, the families included. And just getting help for yourself as a parent, you know, that's, 
kind of why I came about is because there's a lot of, there's not a lot of help all around, but when there is help, it's mostly for the kids or parenting or families. There's not a lot just for parents that are struggling with their own issues besides therapy. So yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting uh, to me because just based on my research, in Canada, we don't like the rat diagnosis. So I've talked to a number of parents who, because their children were adopted and they believe that their child has rad, but our healthcare system won't, won't acknowledge it, right? Will not. And it took some research on my part to understand why. It took some understanding. Uh, but it seems like there's almost some fear of the diagnoses. And I've heard some statistics about, you know, folks in jail. My phone won't stop ringing. That's mm -hmm. <laughs> about, you know, folks in jail and how many folks in jail have an attachment disorder. Uh, you know, there's degrees of attachment disorders, of course. But, but why would the mental health profession be so concerned about a specific diagnosis? It's a good question. Uh, you know, we don't have much luck here. Often people here in the US don't want to call it by its name because it's not often, if a child just has reactive attachment disorder, most insurance companies won't cover that. You need another diagnosis. And I kind of equate it in my career with dementia. You know, dementia in our society is a four letter word because people don't know how to deal with it. So we put them in locked units and have people looking after them. Now it's it's changed a lot over the last couple of years and people now are ready to face it, but it was big and scary and we, we didn't know how to treat it. So it's easier to not look at it, I think. And, mm -hmm. and I, I'm feeling the same way about reactive attachment disorder. And Canada, I have worked in the Canadian healthcare system too. And I know uh, I love healthcare in Canada, but I will say that things move a lot, a lot slower. And, you know, I was working on a project at one point that, you know, the, the equipment it, it it's used here in the U S and has been for years and years and years. Uh, so really you just needed to purchase the equipment and get going. But in Canada, no, we had to do literature reviews. I mean, it's been, 12 years and uh that that hospital that i was working at is still not doing it and so wow. i can't tell you what it is i think there's um a lot of good in really wanting to research it and make sure that you know um you get the best outcomes but uh it's unfortunate it's unfortunate because we do a real disservice not uh, being able to help these kids and mm -hmm. the, you know, early intervention in anything is ideal. So yes. the earlier we can catch anything. So I don't know why, um, early intervention is very important in Canada in other, you know, disciplines. Yeah. So I don't have a good answer for you, but it should be. Um, and I do know there are some resources in Canada, but the beauty of maybe COVID and now, is we can reach across borders. And mm -hmm. so if you're not finding services where you are, get online yeah. and, and just start digging. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. I think one of the things that, that healthcare everywhere faces is the brain is such a 
complex machine that what works for one person isn't guaranteed to work for the next. And, you know, if, if we look at our daughter's situation, um, based on everything, her age that she came to us, it really should have been textbook, you know, a fairly smooth transition. Right. And absolutely, we have bumped into, you know, more than our share, definitely our share of challenges along the way, right? right? And so from a cost perspective, because there's no surgery that we can do to reconnect pieces, and in most cases, there's not a pill that can be prescribed that says, here, if she takes this, you know, she's going to attach to you. So you're really trying to fix something that we don't necessarily understand as much as we'd like. And right. one of the things that I really like about what you talk about, Tracy, is, you know, that trauma-informed coach, that trauma-informed parent. When you approach parenting from a perspective that losing your birth mother at 13 months of age, that was trauma. One of the things that I often hear, and honestly, here's my pet peeve. This is me on a soapbox <laughs> for a second. Bring the it number, up. The number of times that I've heard people say, oh, they don't remember it. They were so young. Oh, yeah. It's exactly the opposite. They were so young that they couldn't understand what was happening. And they just knew that it impacted their entire world. Right. So when you hear people say that, when you hear them say, oh, they were so young, they don't remember, or good for you for adopting these children. How do you right. respond to that? Because that's my second favorite. Yeah, that is a hard one. Well, and you're right. It's stored trauma is stored in the body and we can store it from those early days. I even had a hard time. You know, I went into adoption as an adoptive mom, not thinking trauma, you know, trauma to me was uh, war veterans or people from, you know, uh, sexual assault or assault, um, you know, a, a, a plane crash. That's what trauma was for me um, until, you know, I experienced it firsthand as a parent. So, you know, I can see that it's hard to understand, but yes, it can happen that early. They're not old enough to verbalize, you know, that mm -hmm. frontal lobe and those executive yeah. functions aren't developed by any means. So, but we store it in, in our body. Um, and so it is remembered and it does still come out. Yeah. And that question about, I get it all the time, you know, it's this, you're doing such a wonderful thing. And, you know, to be honest, I feel selfish. I didn't go into adoption uh, wanting to save anybody or do a good thing. I wanted a family. I'm going to be mm -hmm. honest, you know, and that's how we were able to have our family and start our family and so um and and we're often not doing a, a great thing the system is very broken mm -hmm. and you know a lot of these kids shouldn't end up in our homes before they get help and they should end up in our homes when there are services provided to the families and the parents to cope um but it just doesn't work that way. But yeah, you know, I often feel guilty when people say that. And it's a longer conversation to have that you can't have in that moment to really explain it. But mm -hmm. no, yeah, mm -hmm. I think we're just starting our families and that's what we want. And 
you know. <laughs> yeah, and then we kind of go from there. And and yeah. like any parenting journey, you, you never really know what you're getting into, right? right? That's the beauty. Because right. if we know, we might think a little bit more. Yeah. But no, like this isn't about do you love your kid? Do you need to love right. them more? No. This is about you know, helping these kids build a solid foundation so that they've got a successful future. And that's where it, you know, it can be so, so challenging. Well, and when people say it takes a village, it takes a huge village for these kids. And you're bringing up a really good point, Barb, is that it's not a parenting issue. Often parents are judged and we have to parent a different way. If we parent our children like most parents do, you know, the word neurotypical for a, a child that's just a regular kid in a regular family, you know, mm -hmm. uh, they respond to things the way that they should or we expect them to as we raise children. But, you know, our children, when we have children with reactive attachment disorder, do not at all. It's the complete opposite. And so you really have to flip things. And when it's so different from regular parenting, People don't understand it. We look strict. No. We look mean, but mm -hmm. it's actually what the children need. And yeah. so, you know, there's a lot of judgment on parents and, uh, and about it, but you can't love them. You know, that we all go in thinking, well, if we just love them enough, the more time they spend around us and family and in these enriching activities and all the things that we do, because we do all the things. Yep. Mm -mm, it's not enough. That's not no. what they need to change their brain. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Tracy, we're basically out of time here for today. Yeah. So just quickly, um, tell us if someone wanted to learn more, how would they uh, Google you or where would they find you and your podcast? Okay. My podcast and my website is radtalkwithtracy.com. You can check out the podcast. You can apply to be a guest and share your story, whether you're an expert or uh, a mom or a dad or a parent. Uh, you can listen to episodes. And then I provide a lot of parent support services. It's really not about parenting. It's about for you, the parents. So we have support groups and retreats. And then there's individualized coaching. So radtalkwithtracy.com. Awesome. Well, that sounds fantastic. So thank you very much for being with me here today. It's the fastest uh, 25, 26 minutes of my week each time I do this. <laughs> yeah, bad. Yeah. Well, it this goes. isn't an issue that's easy to sum up in that amount of time, but it's been great to be here, Barb. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And thank you for being here. So if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please email me at barb at abovethefold.live or reach out on Facebook or Instagram at abovethefoldca. Just a reminder, you can even post questions in advance of our show just on our Facebook page. So I'm your host, Barb McGrath, local business owner and Google girl. Remember worked hard for your success. Don't keep it a secret. Bye for now. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is supported by Conexus. Does money spark joy in your life or cause you stress? If you said stress, you're not alone. For 42% of Canadians, their biggest stressor comes from money. At Conexus, they care about your financial well-being. Money doesn't have to be stressful, and Conexus is here to help. The Conexus Money Talk blog provides expert advice, tips, and solutions for all life stages and events. Getting married, buying a house, budgeting, saving, they cover it all and more. And, did I mention, it's free! 
Check it out today at connectsmoneytalk.ca and start feeling confident and stress-free about your money.